Talk Radio 96.7. Ronnie O and Coach Joe talking sports in the Ozone. The Ozone tonight brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. And with us in studio, our favorite guest, Andy McGaffigan, former Major League Baseball pitcher, former Florida Southern College mock. And he's here. If you want to know some stuff about baseball, Coach Joe and I have opinions. Andy has facts. 682-1430. That's 682-1430. And if you're technologically inclined, you can reach us at ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. Andy, welcome back to the Ozone. Always so good to have you in studio. Thanks, Ron. It's always a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. And, of course, you're brought to us by the Eric Clark Foundation, and that check for $3 million is on its way. (laughs) Why am I the last one to know about these things? Thanks, Clark. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Oh, me. Another million down the drain. There there you go. There you go. Andy, I wanted to ask you about the new rules in Major League Baseball this year. Did they use the shift much when you were playing? Not really. I mean, they did occasionally, but it wasn't uh, used as much as it was the last couple of years. I don't have a problem with the shift. I think it's smart. It's just, you know, it's just strategy. And so why not use it if you can? Well, now, why would a pitcher not think that way? Yeah, right. <laughs> get those dumb hitters out more often. That's, That's right. I like that. <laughs> and it seems to me that it's, it's unfair. I know why they did it, but two throws to first base. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I think they're overthinking this. I think they're changing too much of the game in that way. I, I like the pitch clock. I think that's a great idea. But, you know, to do away with things like, you know, you're taking you're taking strategy out of the hands of the manager. And so I, I don't necessarily agree with that much at all. Would the pitch clock have bothered you? Were you no. a quick worker? I was a fairly quick worker. When I was struggling, you know, you take a little bit, a little bit of extra time. But uh, for the most part, I was a pretty quick guy. Get the ball, get my sign, throw. Did it make a difference, Andy, uh, when there's runners on base? Uh, it will a little bit because you, you have to pay attention to them, especially if they're you know prone to steal. You know, guys like Vince Coleman and Ozzie Smith, those kind of guys. But, uh, but still, as a pitcher, I would need to vary my delivery so that I could keep them back on their heels, if you will, so that they wouldn't be as quick to, to second base. And plus, it would allow me to uh, give my catcher time uh, to to get a release down to second base. But if you take too much time, now you're you're shortstop, and so everybody kind of gets back on their heels as well. And then if a ball gets hit, they they might lose a step because they weren't they weren't on the on their toes, so to speak. Well, between the pitch clock and not being able to throw over, you can't do the thing where you hold the ball extra long either and to throw off the time. You're exactly right, and that takes again. Um, there's going to be some sacrifices and some some compromises with these new rule changes. And, you know, it's not a perfect world. Um, but, yeah, that was one of the tools that you could use as a pitcher is to just to hold the ball and, and just let that guy on first base just kind of sit and, you know, sit and sit and sit and sit and then go home, you know. So, but that's, uh, you know, it's part of the game. It always seemed to me that the left-handed pitchers get away with murder with their moves to first base. Do you see it that way? Are you were a right-hander. I was a right-hander, and, and sometimes you're right. Some of those guys had, you know, there's a couple of different ways you could balk, and, and you know, they would, they would 
bend the rules just a hair. <laughs> but it all depended on the on the man on the umpire. You know, if you had an umpire that was um, actively engaged in whether the pitcher is going to balk or not, you know, there were some umpires that were more um, uh, adept at calling box than others. <laughs> Uh, and they, it's like it's almost what like. What are you running for? That was very diplomatic. It, 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 it's it's almost like some of these guys felt that you know all fifty thousand people in the stands came to see them call call a balk on a pitcher. You know? Joe, I think he's going to be running for an office. <laughs> he's going to announce tonight because that was so diplomatic, or he's going to make a comeback. Maybe that's it. I've got because... some friends that are still major league umpires, and I've got some friends that are retired major league umpires, and. Yeah, and I I don't want him I don't want to <laughs> cause some bad blood. There was a, there was a call last week I think it was a balk that cost it was a Houston a game. Uh, they're still mad about it. <laughs> yeah, know, it was some sort of phantom balk. Yeah, and you look at it on replay or watching on t- TV. I can't always always tell. Is it uh, is it maybe they they don't hold long enough or continuous motion or yeah there has to be a talking i'm assuming you're talking about when when the pitcher is in a stretch position and yeah. he comes set there has to be a definitive stop in your motion and i it's funny i go back and i look at some of my old videos and i i bounced a lot i yeah. didn't miss it. <laughs> yes. know, but you know but some umpires would call that others wouldn't and and so it's just it's like some umpires have a a very, they call a very low strike zone. Others call a high strike. Some guys call the corners. Some guys they don't call yeah. them at all. Did you pretty much know who? Was oh yeah, who? yeah. Everybody, you, you know who's who's behind the plate. Like there was a guy named Lee Wire, and Lee Wire was a good umpire, but he was he called a game quick. He would tell guy because he was a single guy, <laughs> and he always wanted to go out after the games. And he'd tell him, say, guys. I got a hot date tonight. Oh. <laughs> you better be swinging. So there's some and, truth to that. Oh, and yeah. I'm telling you, the plate, was like, oh, the plate was like 24 inches wide. And, and, <laughs> but everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. So you know it was going to be a quick game if Lee was behind the plate. Oh, well, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to have Andy McGaffigan with us. Give us a call, 682-1430, 682-1430. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. This is Drew Howard, Director of Athletics at Florida Southern College. You're listening to Coach Joe and Ronnie O on the Zone. Thanks for listening, and go Mock. Talk Radio 96.7. Yeah, you got Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. The Ozone tonight brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone, and we've got Andy McGaffigan with us in studio. 682-1430. That's 682-1430. That's the number you need to call. Give us a call. Andy's right here. He can tell you a lot of stuff that happened back in the day, so you don't want to miss that. Andy, I wanted to ask you about, it seems like more and more there's Tommy John surgery and things like that, and some people attribute it to kids playing too much baseball. They concentrate on one sport. What would be your advice to somebody who had a youngster about when they should start throwing breaking balls, and would you recommend they play like baseball year-round and concentrate on one sport at a young age, or do you think they ought to be playing other sports? What, what's your opinion on all that? Well, when I – sounds – I'm such an old guy. When I was a kid, you know, <laughs> we, we had – yeah, we had like 12 – we played like 12 games 
in Little League or 14 games. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a long season, yeah. but we also played basketball and we yeah. played ran track or we, you know, played football or whatever. And, and so and plus just being a normal kid, riding a bike and, you know, running a skateboard and all that kind right. of stuff. And, um, I do think it's, it's overuse syndrome that we're looking at. Um, I think these kids are playing a ton of baseball and, it's hard. It's hard on the body. And uh, you asked about when should they start throwing a breaking ball. I typically would not encourage them to throw a break, any breaking balls until they were certainly after puberty, when their bodies are maturing more and there's you know more testosterone in the body, which will help strengthen the, the bones and ligaments and joints and everything. Um, but I think there's so much that can be done without throwing a breaking ball, you know, just learning how to pitch, you know, taking changing speed and location and getting your body under control. But everybody wants to throw the curveball or the slider or whatever. It's just, it's hard on the body. Which pitch is most stressful on your arm? Any overhand pitch is stressful on the arm. And so, um, you know, people ask me all the time, what's the best pitch in baseball? And I always tell them it's a strike. <laughs> right, yeah. and and specifically strike one, and so um, knowing that your 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 arm and your shoulder and your body in general, it's a stressful action to throw overhand. That's why, you know, these softball pitchers they can pitch forever. Eddie Fainer he pitched until what he was in his fifties, yeah, or sixties probably, and all of these fast pitch softball pitchers were you know they don't have shoulder problems typically. Um, but the best thing you can do from a uh, physiological standpoint is to make sure that your shoulder is strong and that you've got good mechanics. You know, and there's lots of exercises that I've learned over the years and that have helped me. And as a result, for the most part, I've, I've remained injury-free my entire career. And I never had any surgeries. I never had any major tears or anything like that. But, you know, there's going to be the the normal wear and tear. You know, you see that we just had the College World Series uh, this past week, and normally college teams, they're built to play three, maybe four games a week, you know, if they have a midweek game. But in the College World Series, you saw LSU give up 24 runs in the Sunday game. That was their seventh game in nine nights. Right. They were clearly out of pitching. They didn't have anybody left. They had a few people back on Monday. And then they made the decision not to go with their ace on Monday on three days rest because he had pitched a lot on the Thursday. And it, there's a lot of talk in college uh, about these guys get overused. They throw 120, 130 pitches in a start. Uh, what do you observe in that? Well, it's interesting. You know, 120, 130 pitches in a start was a normal start for hmm. guys in my era. Yeah. You know, you would to cut people off at 100, 100 pitches – Somebody's going to get decked in the locker room after a game if you come and get me after a hundred pitches. <laughs> That's not good. Assuming you're effective, right. yeah. So, so definitely stay in there. You know, and I know things change, um, but I, I think what they were trying to do is protect that kid for one thing. Number two, um, yeah, staffs are, are short-handed, especially late in the season because you got guys that are hurt. You have people that have thrown a lot of innings. Um, and you have to do unusual things. It's, I've seen situations where in a blowout game like that, that you know, the 
the second, the backup catcher or the backup third baseman is going to come in and pitch the the next you know five innings, and of course he's done for the next week because he's been <laughs> so sore. Yeah. But it just you know you have to do what you have to do, especially when you're in the you know in the playoffs or in the World Series like that. Well, it seems like that's what happened to the to the Gators who had the pitching advantage going in because they only needed three games to reach the final. And they had everything lined up, but their starting pitching was so poor, they ended up yeah. burning up their bullpen and didn't have anything left for Monday. Yeah. Um, you know, a guy like Shaq Haglione, who's a good pitcher, but such control issues, and he just couldn't find it. Uh, it, it you know, what if you were watching him, what would you, where would you say he was going wrong? Well, inevitably, when you're out there struggling, it's the loneliest place on earth because everybody's watching you, everybody's looking at you, and you're you're panicking, you're scrambling, trying to figure it out on your own. And sometimes it's just you can't, you don't have perspective. And you know that's happened to me at times. I threw, I typically had a pretty good delivery, so I could kind of get back to square one if I was off. But I remember there was a moment, uh, a time in my later in my career, I had gotten traded back to the Giants. This was 1990. 91, 90, I think, 90. And I, I just I could not find my release point. And the, my slider was flat. I wasn't getting the good hop on my fastball. And we were going to play the Padres. And one of my old pitching coaches, Pat Dobson, was the pitching coach for the for the Padres. And I called him up when I got to the ballpark, first, first day in San Diego. And I said, Pat, I, I can't figure out what I'm doing. I'm doing something wrong. Would you, if I get in, any, and was he the Padres pitching? coach? He was the Padres okay. pitching coach, but he was a friend, right? And so I said, if I get in a game, would you? I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at you. And he goes, uh, sure. And so, sure enough, that first game, I came in in like the fifth or sixth inning or something like that, and I was taking my warm up pitches. And after about my third warm up pitch, I just glanced over at him in the dugout, and all he did was he just kind of held up his hands. He just, just stay back. Stay back over your right side. And I had thought that I was, but I wasn't. See, that's the difference. It's about that much. And so I then practiced what I thought was an over-exaggeration, and sure enough, it happened just like that. I got my release point back. And so I really appreciated him doing that. Nobody in the world knew what was going on except he and I. Now, Pat Dobson was one of those 20-game winners, winners when the Orioles had four of them yep. in the same year. Palmer, Cuellar, McNally, McNally yeah. and, and uh, Dobson. Yeah, And he knew me because I had pitched an entire year in double-A with him, and I had a great year. So he knew me. He knew my delivery. and Plus, he, was, he had a really good command of, of pitching knowledge. He was, just, he, was just, he was an encyclopedia. He was a wealth, wealth of knowledge. Another guy you pitched with was Mel Stottlemyre toward the end of his career. Did you think that he was a guy that was going to be a great pitching coach? Um, truthfully, I didn't really know Mel very well. We played a little bit in, 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 in with the Royals, mm-hmm. but no, I didn't. But he can't, you know, pretty good genetics. His dad was a pretty good pitching coach. Oh, this was Mel Stottlemyre Jr. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I, right. I played with Junior, not with okay. Senior. Okay. I'm not that old, Ron. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm old, but I'm, I'm not sorry. I think, I think Mel Stoudemire Sr. was pitching coach for those 86 Mets, was he? 
He was with the Yankees as well for a lot yeah. of years. He was he was with a lot of different teams. I want to ask you about the '86 Mets because you were in the National League mm-hmm. then, and you probably pitched against them maybe a number of times in the same division. Uh, you know, Gary Carter, Daryl Strawberry, among others, uh, Lenny Dykstra. One one of the amazing teams of all time. I just wondered what it was like to pitch against them. If there was somebody who really gave you fits, uh, it, it wasn't much fun. Yeah. I'll tell you that <laughs> they could rake, they could rake from about one through about eight. They were going to bring it to you every night, and plus playing in in Shave Stadium, which was horrible, but the fans were rabid, and they were almost as. Um, as difficult to pitch against as the uh, the Cubs were back in '84. Yeah, those, that was a good Cubs or team. Or '85. Oh, well, they were really good in '84. '84. Sure it was '84. '84 yeah. Mets or '84 Cubs were the most intimidating team I've ever pitched against in my life. You yeah, know, every time you played them, you knew you were going to lose a series and you might get swept. Had to pitch against uh, <laughs> Leon Durham. See, he must have been. He he had a lot of power, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. And they all, I mean, everybody had career years that year. Those Mets teams, uh, I know they had a bunch of lefties, like besides Dykstra and Strawberry, Wally Bachman, uh, mm-hmm. Howard Johnson Keith would have batted left hander. Yeah. Keith Hernandez, uh, exactly. Howard Johnson would yeah. have batted. So it's, uh, uh, was there a, a particular, uh, you know, strategy that, that you guys would meet on to talk about, try to. Well, we would to- always, we would always go over the hitters, um, our first, our first night in town, we would go or we would have spray charts and we would have uh, super scouts that had been with the team, you know, watched them the, the series before. And so we had all the, all the, you know, the notes on what they were doing, but they were, they were all hot. So, yeah. you know, it's like, what's the difference here, right? So, you know, the strategy was get through it, you know, and, and not try not to get hurt. That was a, Pretty good strategy. I hope your guys could score a lot of runs for you. Yeah, yeah. I almost <laughs> lo- I almost lost my life one night in Shea Stadium. Daryl Strawberry hit a line drive right up the middle. I threw him a high inside fastball, and he just went boom, and he hit it right up the middle. And I'm looking at it; it's coming right at me. And all I could do was this, and it went right by my nose. So it's like Matrix style. It, 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 wow! <laughs> I saw it, heard it, and felt the wind. Oh my gosh! My goodness. Close. Now, Carter was a teammate of yours at one time, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, Gary was a great catcher. I loved throwing to Gary when I was with the Expos in 84. Gary had the best command of all hitters in the league. It was like photographic memory. I could sit down with him and, Gary, Gary, tell me about so-and-so. And he'd just, just rattle it off. I just, I had my own little black book with Gary, and I, I would go talk with him about every hitter that we were going to face. You know, another guy that was fascinating to me, you're talking about the Cubs, was Rick Russell. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a guy that was, he looked like he was so out of shape, looked like they brought him in out of Big some Daddy. beer hall somewhere. But boy, he could pitch. He could pitch and he could eat a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> I think he ate a few of those. It yes, looked like he did. he did. Yeah, he was amazing. He had such great ability to sink that fastball and throw it. He was just, and he was just a good athlete. He's just, a, he was just, and, I, I see him regularly in, at golf tournaments and stuff around the, the country, and he's just such a good guy. He's, he's such a good guy. I love him to death. Oh, man. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. We're going to listen to Kim Commando. We'll be back after that break with Andy McGaffigan. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. 
Hey, let's get back into more. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. The Ozone tonight brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland. They turn scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. And we've got Andy McGaffigan with us. Give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Andy, another guy we were talking about, guys who are athletic. You played with a guy named Bo Jackson. Mm. Um, tell us a little bit about Bo Jackson. You got a Bo Jackson story, something he did amazing that I've, you went, wow. I've got more Bo Jackson stories than, than we have time <laughs> for. But one of the first things I remember about Bo is I just I got traded to the to the club Actually, I, I, I got called up to the big leagues with the Royals late in my career, and I met them in Anaheim, and then we traveled from Anaheim to Seattle. And I remember I, after a game at the Kingdom, I got on the bus and I was watching you know, the players kind of piling, filing through this crowd of people, and I remember seeing people looking right past George Brett <laughs> to get a look at Bo Jackson. I'm thinking oh, wow. they're looking past a first ballot unanimous Hall of Famer to get a look at this guy named Bo Jackson. He was amazing, amazing athlete. Wow. And uh, one of the funniest stories about Bo for me personally was we were in Kansas City. And in Kansas City, after a game, the kids, the, the boys, got to come into the locker room and to be with their dads and to be with the rest of the guys. And and this was early on with my son, Drew. He was four, three or four, had on his Royals uniform. And the first thing all the kids do is they run in and they run right over to the other side of the locker room where the, the bubble gum and all the candy <laughs> is, right? And to get there, you have to go right past Bo's locker. And so Drew was right about in front of Bo's locker, and Bo goes, hey, boy. And my son turned around and looked at him, and he was scared to death and he instantly started crying and ran right over to my locker which is kind of across the the way from from Bo's locker Bo felt so bad he so he felt so embarrassed that he went over to the to the uh the table where all the candies were and he got this big old five gallon bucket of bubble gum and brought it over because Drew's bawling his eyes out in my arms in my locker and he came over and he got down on his knees and he said, I am so sorry. And he gave him this whole bucket of, <laughs> of bubble gum. And then from then on, you know, he, every time he would come in, he would look at Bo and he'd just kind of walk. And he had that grin. <laughs> but, but Bo was a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime player. Uh, what made George Brett so good? He, he was smart. He just saw the ball so well. He was a consummate player in that he, he – he had a very high baseball IQ. Um, he worked hard. He didn't, you know, when he was on the field, it was he's going to lay it out. He's going to put it all out there, and he just had very few, very few regrets. You, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, the Kingdom and uh, and Seattle and, and all that. And by the way, we're talking to Andy McGaffigan in studio tonight. Six eight two fourteen thirty. Six eight two fourteen thirty. If you want to give us a call. Um, and George Brett, uh, he flirted at one time in one season with 400. And currently, we got Luis Arias of the Marlins, who went 0 for 3 today. So he dropped all the way down to 392. Mm, slacker. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe he has like the sixth highest average at this point in the season since the great 1941 and Ted Williams and, 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 and hitting 400. Um, the, is there, 
I, I know how difficult it is. You've seen Tony Gwynn. You saw George Brett. Uh, you saw, did you ever see Rod Carew at some point? I did on TV. I never played against him, though. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the, the uh, it seemed like what they wouldn't, they could tell you what they were going to do while the pitch was on the way, <laughs> you know, if they, if you mic'd them and all that. So, so is, do you try to pitch around somebody like that or do they hit your, your junk anyway, or do you just go right at them? What's the, you can't fool these guys. You just try to throw it past them. You have to pitch your game, but you also, but you also have to take into consideration what their strengths are. And, you know, the, the, the value or the beauty of pitching is that you don't have to throw a strike. You know, you can throw a near strike. And so uh, my manager in Montreal, Buck Rogers, who was my favorite manager, he was a catcher, and he handled the pitching staff really well. He said, you know, there's, there's six ways of getting a hitter out. You can get them out by pitching up or down in the strike zone, inside or outside in the strike zone, and then back and forth in the strike zone. And that's changing speeds. And so a changeup. And so when you're pitching against a hitter that's hot, yeah, unless unless you don't have to pitch to them, pitch around them. You know, there's no there's no shame in in pitching in putting a guy like Tony Gwynn on first base. When yeah. if especially if you got a runner in scoring position, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, you, you know, know I, you don't have to you don't have to uh, you know uh, acquiesce to to a hitter. We you know last night uh, late last night Domingo Herman. He uh, didn't acquiesce to anybody. He threw a perfect <laughs> game for the Yankees against the Athletics. Uh, and, it, it, you know, it hadn't been done in 11 years. Because mm. the last time it was done was 2012, and there were three of them in 2012. That's right. Yeah, and uh, and now 11 years later, it's only the 24th official perfect game in history, and, and baseball goes all the way back before before even Ronnie. So yeah, know, it's been a long, long time. <laughs> so but does that count as a perfect game against the double-A team? <laughs> yeah, so he did it against the A's, but, uh, you know, it, it officially counts. How, how, what's, what's the closest you ever came to perfection? Well, I threw a no-hitter in high school. Yeah, all right. So that's about as close as – but there were moments in my career, because I was a reliever most of my career. There were moments – I think I had a stretch in – might have been 86 where I had something like 26 or 27 or 28 or 30-something scoreless innings um, as a reliever. That's a lot. Wow. And, and I didn't even realize it until – yeah. I'd given up a run. Who were you with then? Montreal. Yeah. Well, it, well during your time in, in the majors, uh, you ever been present when a no-hitter was being worked on or perfect game? We and, got – we were getting no-hit by Ron – oh, gosh, I can't remember his name. Uh, he was with Cincinnati, and he got to two outs in the bottom of the night. Ron Reed? Ron, no, it was Ron. I'll think of it in a second. Um, really good pitcher. And he got to uh, two outs in the bottom of the ninth, and I think it was Wally Johnson got a base hit off him in the bottom of the ninth. <laughs> yeah, so that was the closest I've seen personally, uh, but that was pretty impressive. I took my kids out to Dodger Stadium many, many years ago, and my daughter was she was three years younger than my son. My son wanted to be there. My daughter didn't even want to be there. And uh, so a guy named Ishmael Valdez had a perfect game going. And this guy, I can't remember who they were even playing, but a guy 
took a swing, barely touched the ball, but he got it between third and the pitcher and got a base hit, and that was the only hit. He finished with a one-hit shutout. And my daughter the whole time, like by the sixth inning, she, come on, Dad, let's go, let's go. No, honey, this is history. This is history. <laughs> yeah. She didn't care. She was ready to go. But, you know, it's just one of those things yeah. where yeah. there's a certain amount of luck involved in it, it too, it, isn't it? A lot of luck. There's a lot of luck that has to happen for a guy to throw a no-hitter and certainly a perfect game. You know, I've seen where line drives are hit right at guys, you know, just crazy stuff like that. And so it all has to – the stars have to align, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that stretch uh, right prior, during uh, 2009 to 2012, there were uh, six no-hitters thrown mm. – or six perfect games thrown. There were probably were more no-hitters. Three of them were against the Rays, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> including that Mark Burley game. Where, sure. Remember the uh, outfielder who was just put in as a defensive player who made the catch-up against the wall. He was with the White Sox in one. The White Sox. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the Red Sox. Yeah, White Sox. He made the – Wise, I think his name was. He made an incredible catch. So it does take a lot of luck. And, and uh, I, I've been seeing online everybody's – talking about that this should have been the 25th perfect game. They go back to the Detroit game where Galarraga lost uh, it on the oh, final yeah. out on the bad umpire call. What? Uh, but he kept his calm, the, the pitcher. Did you ever have an umpire drive you over the, the over the edge that messed up your, your game or your, or your day or it caused you to lose <laughs> it completely? <laughs> no, I, I pretty much could stay in control of my emotions most of the time. There you uh, go. No, but for real. No, no I'm serious. It, it, because – you know, you don't want to tick them off, yeah. right? It, but yeah, you, you got to see them again tomorrow. And, I, and, and you also have to understand they have bad days too, right? Mm -hmm. And they're not going to get everything right. But you know, if it's you, and it, and it's your your numbers are on the line here, and they mess up, they they miss a called strike, or they miss a bang bang play at first or second or third or whatever. If they drop, you know, if they screw up, it just makes it. Um, it, it it tends to get it can get personal. And, but you just really can't let it because you're going to see those same guys in two weeks in St. Louis. And they're going to be behind the plate again. <laughs> and they have long memories just like we do. Right? <laughs> and so you just have to, you have to trade them professionally. And if they're, if they're really that bad, you know, you just kind of write it off. You go, guy stinks. And I'm not going to worry about it because it's not worth it because he's going to stink next time as well as he does today. <laughs> so you just kind of let it go. You got to let it go. Uh, I remember John Madden uh, got on a referee in uh, the NFL, and he, he was so angry. He said, you stink! And the guy threw a personal foul penalty on him, and he stepped back 15 yards. He said, how do I smell from over here, John? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they they have control over your uh, your outcomes. And so, you know, you want to you treat them – Decently. You weren't here, Andy, but I, I saw there was a major league pitcher's wife, and uh, he, he he had a, a bad series or whatever, and he got traded. And his wife says, why do we have to move? I didn't throw any gopher balls. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's probably not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was one thing with my wife, man. She was, she was my number one fan and still is. And so it's just – Marriage is hard. It's hard when your when your job is being viewed by, you know, sixty thousand people and three million on on TV. 
all of whom are second yeah. guessing. Oh, yeah, and, they're all experts. Yeah, yeah, they're exactly. all experts. <laughs> was right. it sort of leave it at the ballpark, or or or, or was uh, home where you decompressed a little bit? Maybe uh, you try to leave it at the ballpark, but ultimately there is some decompression time for sure. Yeah, especially if you're going, if it's going bad, because oh. it's just hard. You know, it's as much as you try not to take it home, it's it's always there. Did Jill have a way of helping you decompress? I mean, obviously she knew. Did she go to a lot of the games? She or? went to most every game. Yeah, she would. Um, you know, she wouldn't. She wouldn't tell me how to pitch, and I wouldn't tell her how to cook. <laughs> and you know, we we had pretty well defined roles in our marriage, and we still do. But she was just very gracious, and she wasn't condescending. She's just you know, she's just a she's the best person I know. And she just treated me with honor and respect. And even when we were going bad, when I was going bad, we were going bad. And she would do everything in her power to make sure that, you know, there was harmony in the, in the house with the kids, with whatever, and just give me the, the, the space to be able to, to decompress and, or to bring it home. But there were times where she would say, you know, got to let that go, you know, and, and, yeah, that's spot on most of the time. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you just there's you you can't dwell on it. You gotta let it go. You gotta have short memory. Wow. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we might just have thirty dollars off your tab at Miller's Lakeland Ale House. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio ninety six point seven WLKF. Hello there, sports fans. This is Sam Jones. 10-time NBA champion with the Boston Celtics. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Ozone! Oh, yeah! The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. You just heard the late, great Sam Jones, the second winningest player in NBA history. Ten world championships, Mm. trailing only William Felton Russell. All right. Now, last night, there was a perfect game pitched in the major leagues. We told you earlier who the victims were. So, for, if you want to go out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House and take $30 off your tab, all you have to do is call us, 682-1430, 682-1430. The Yankees' Domingo Hernandez, Herman, I mean, pitched a perfect game last night. Who were the victims? 682-1430. They're in the AL West. It was a late game. 682-1430. There you go. You can go out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House located at 5650 South Florida Avenue, and they have over 30 strategically located television sets, and you can eat and drink a lot for $30, and we got somebody hungry and thirsty already. Man, that was fast. So I guess they were listening. Yeah, yeah. They probably Maybe they even saw it last night. Well, I don't know. Maybe they, they gave up. They gave and up. Chased him away. Yeah. Eric Clark hung up on him. He said, I want I want that $30 off my tag. Eric's hungry Eric. and thirsty. Yeah, he is. Eric's pre-screening our callers. Yeah, he is. He said, nope, nope, sorry, sorry. I'm going to win this thing this week. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, speaking of uh, owning another team, which this pitcher, Herman, did last night, uh, first you had uh, – the Bruins, then the Celtics, and now the Red Sox. Oh, you, you had to ta- bring all that up, didn't you? Have been taken over by South Florida, which is uh, – that region is now going to be known as New Florida. 
instead of New England. Mm. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, we got Terry on the line. Terry, you hungry and thirsty? Hey, I'm always hungry. Oh, that's what we like. That's the kind of people we want calling. Who did Domingo Herman pitch a perfect game against last night? Well, that was against the Oakland Athletics. You're exactly right. Probably wouldn't be the Las Vegas Athletics. (laughs) Well, since since I'm a Yankee fan and I didn't get to stay up last night to watch it, (laughs) that was a disappointment. But that was had to have been a great game. Perfect game. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a Red Sox fan. You're ineligible. I'm sorry. (laughs) The Red Sox were busy being swept by the Marlins. Well, the Marlins are going to end up just like those other Miami teams. No rings. No rings for them. In the finals, in the World Series, I I wouldn't exactly complain if that was the final result. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, me. Well, Terry, um, we appreciate you listening. And um, So you're a Yankees fan. How long have you been a Yankees fan? Oh, since I uh, first started watching baseball as a child. Well, I'll tell you what. We've got a former Yankee right here in studio. Andy McGaffigan pitched for the Yankees. Oh, yeah. Listen, I I, I followed Andy uh, his whole time with the Yankees. Well, you didn't follow me very long, then, did you? <laughs> well, no, but as long as you were there. Yeah, that's true. I came up to the minor leagues with him, but uh, yep. got traded after my first time in, with the with the club. That was 1981. What was, was that season like, Andy? That was a good year. I spent most of it. Yankees were good that in, year. I, they were very good. We won the American League championship that year. That was a strike-shortened mm-hmm. year. And I uh, spent most of that year in the, in the minor leagues, but I got paid, which was good. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but, ended up uh, the Dodgers... Beat them in the World Series. They did, didn't they? Was that a strike year? It was. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I thought so. Terry, hang on the line, and Eric will get your information, take your wallet, and no, no. (laughs) Stop it, Ronnie. (laughs) And congratulations, and we'll get that out to the Ale House, and you can go out there as soon as tomorrow. Thank you, Terry. We appreciate you listening. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you, Terry. The Yankees, by the way, turned around this afternoon and won again. Ten to four this time. Oh my so gosh! Hayes got on the board at least. Yeah, I think I saw where uh, Giancarlo Stanton had a pretty good year, a pretty good day today. Uh, yeah, you know that's. Uh, it, it, we got the All Star starters have uh, been announced, and Aaron Judge is one of them, even though he's missed a lot of time with a what's, what looks like a pretty bad toe injury. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but Stanton is is doing pretty well. But uh, they, what I want to ask you about, Andy, is the. Uh, Rays, the uh, Yankees are managed to just keep falling farther and farther behind. The Rays won again today, six to one over Arizona. They're now fifty six and twenty eight. They're good. Uh, they could, if they would just went five hundred the rest of the way, they'd win ninety five games. Right. <laughs> so, right. Uh, we talked about a, a minute ago about the Marlins being in the World Series, but this this really looks like it's for real. Tell us what y- your observations of the Rays pitching staff, which has been really impressive. They're very. They're very aggressive. They go right at the hitters. You know, we were joking earlier, the best pitch in baseball is strike one, right? Yeah. And so these guys have built their their uh, their momentum by um, attacking the hitter, attacking the zone uh, from the very first pitch they're out there. And I think the other thing they do is, you know, the, the manager is not afraid to, to put another guy in. You know, and everybody shows up to the ballpark ready to pitch you know, and expecting to pitch. And that's fun. You know, when you know you're going to be in a lot of ball games, that uh, that changes your attitude about, you know, your work ethic 
and what you're doing away from the field. You know, are you going to go play golf or no, I'm not because it's, it's late June, almost July. I got to be careful about, you know, taking care of myself because, uh, you know, I want to go to, I want to go to work and I want to pitch. Tyler Glasnow is pitching again, uh, pitching pretty well. Uh, the, uh, He's coming off, of course, a significant injury. Mm-hmm. What would what can we expect out of him in the second half of the season? Well, he's, you know, it's, I don't have my tea leaves. I left my <laughs> I left my crystal ball down in the car, but but, but coming off an injury like that, yeah, uh, they're going to probably um, protect him a little bit. Uh, probably not throw him a lot of a lot of pitches during you know e- each outing. So they're going to probably, but. If he's showing signs of, of being strong and, and good velocity and everything, they're going to they're gonna ride him. They're going to ride that thing. Andy, as always, we appreciate you being with us tonight. And, Andy, what are you doing now? You talked about developing a career out of baseball. What do you do now? I'm a financial advisor with Northwestern Mutual, and I'm in my 22nd year. Wow. And uh, I love it, and it's a great organization. We have a wonderful office here in Lakeland, and, and uh, I just love helping people. There you go. So, Andy McGaffigan, that Florida Southern College education, standing him in good stead as he goes on about his second career. And um, it's just amazing what he has done. We are so glad to have him with us. And we just look forward to this every year. Man, really oh, man, oh, man, I tell you what. Really do. My pleasure. I love being here. And it's just uh, I love talking about this. It's a big part of my life.